Well, by all accounts, and regardless of what side of the aisle you are on or how you may feel about the candidates, last night was a historic night for democracy in our nation. It seems like that every four years, each election brings with it even higher stakes than the previous election. Evangelical leader and now political commentator Al Mohler was addressing this phenomenon yesterday on his, um, his podcast, The Briefing, and I'm just going to quote him briefly. He says this, it's true. It, it is absolutely the fact that because of the escalating stakes in American politics, every election cycle becomes even more important than the election cycle before it. And there are plenty of reasons to understand why the presidential election itself uh, in 2016 represents what just might be the most important election of our lifetimes. And we can simply predict that four years later, we'll be saying once again that this will be the most important election of our lifetimes. And in all likelihood, that will be true. And that is because the stakes continue to grow, both higher domestically and internationally in terms of domestic and foreign policy. End quote from, from Al Mohler. You see, the results of last night's election have the entire nation reeling. Some with joy, others with despair, and others with cynicism. Now, I imagine that all of us are somewhere on that spectrum. But the question that I want to ask tonight is now that we have voted, now that we have elected a new president, now what? How does God want us to respond to all of this? Does God care who our president is? Of course. Does God care how we handle the responsibility to vote? Of course. Does God care how we feel about elections? Of, of course. Does God care about how we view the election? Does he care about how excited we get or how sad we get? How would he have wanted us to respond if there was a different outcome, if Hillary had won? Does God tell his people how to respond to an election like this? Well, I think that he does. Now, it is not my intention to give any political commentary tonight. That may disappoint you. It shouldn't. But I don't think that that's what God's people need from their pastors. God has tasked his shepherds to speak God's word to his people. And when your pastors stand up here or in, in pulpits, when we stand up here and address you, we do not do so armed with our mere opinion. But we come armed with the authority and the guarantees from God's word. It's God and God's word reveals to us that he is concerned about our politics and he is concerned about our political joys and our political despairs. God is not just concerned with how we relate to government. That is certainly true. But he's concerned because our politics are connected to our worldview. And our worldviews are connected to our hearts. And God is after our hearts. Now, regardless of whether you feel optimism or despair or cynicism over the future of this nation... I'd like to suggest that we as God's people need a special degree of clarity on how our hearts engage in the political process. 
We need clarity on how our hearts engage in the political process. We know that we, of course, must think first as, as we've already said tonight, citizens of heaven. Because then and only then will we have clarity to act wisely as citizens of earth. You see, what can be so confusing during times, during election times, is the way that opinions are stated so matter-of-factly. Isn't this part of the spectacle of how certain people are and how nobody knows, right? Isn't that hilarious to watch even before and after? I love how we're hearing experts tell us how the experts were wrong before. Have you noticed that? Anyways. But it, it can be so confusing the way that opinions are stated that they can bleed into our perception of reality, giving us a false sense of security or even a false sense of despair. Whether these are the promises of the candidates or the opinions of the political analyst or the spewing of the guy at the water cooler. You've probably heard that guy talking politics. Whether they're, it seems that one of the early lessons of America, one of the early things that we're taking away from this election and the World Series, I might add, is what one Hollywood actor said is that no one really knows anything, right? Which I find amusing. As I was watching the election coverage last night and into the morning and listening to commentators admit and talk about how unexpected it was, a verse from 1 Samuel chapter 2 kept coming to my mind over and over again. I've been meditating on in the recent weeks. Remember when Hannah prayed and she said, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Because the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by Him, actions are weighed. Friends, there is no sure thing in our lives. None of us knows what tomorrow brings. None of us knows what is in the heart of a man. Only God is a God of knowledge. And by Him alone, actions are weighed. It does not matter how confident you are or how terrified you are of the thought of Donald Trump being the next president. But the Bible mandates that we respond in specific, particular ways. So I come to you tonight speaking about politics with great confidence because God's word on this matter is quite clear. Today is the day after an election, and I fear that as Americans, that all Americans, no matter how you feel about the election, I feel that all of us are tempted with the same danger. The danger of being swept away, whether that be in joy, despair, or cynicism. So we all need to hear from God's Word where we can anchor our hearts on the day after the election. So what I'd like to do tonight is offer to you four biblical truths for God's people on the day after an election. The first truth is this. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. None of us. This was remarkably clear to me last night as I sat in dismay thinking about the Cubs and the other thing that happened. Right? None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. No one. Not the pollsters, not the candidates, not even Cubs fans. I don't say that because of last night's results. I say that because God told us so. Do you remember back in James chapter 4? Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
Friends, our days are like the smoke that has hung in the air over the last couple days. It's here and then it's gone, right? We do not know. Our lives are but a breath. And though God has given to man the incredible capacity for knowledge, we are reminded that all knowledge is from the Lord. And he has not given man the capacity to know the future. He's done this so that we would not place our trust in ourselves or in any other man. He's done this particularly. Why? Because the Lord is a God of knowledge. And though God's people are, I believe, called to be wise stewards and observers of history, we look to the future with profound humility because we do not know what tomorrow will bring. We don't. On the day after the election, church, let us be a people who humbly resist the temptation to boast in tomorrow, whether our boasting be triumphant or despairing. A second truth that we need to remember the day after the election is that God is sovereign over the hearts of na- over the over the nations and over the hearts of kings. God is sovereign over the nations and over the hearts of kings. This is a lesson that we have seen in the life of our church again and again for the last couple of years. We saw this in the book of Daniel. We are seeing this in the book of Samuel. We are seeing this in the book of Revelation. That God is sovereign over the political affairs of mankind. How much of your heart was connected to that over the last couple of weeks? That God is sovereign. Would you feel the same if the outcome had been different? In Daniel, we're reminded, blessed be the name of our God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes seasons and times. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Church, God is sovereign over the outcomes of every election, over every coup, over every war of every nation, through every period of history. This does not mean that Donald Trump is God's guy any more than Nebuchadnezzar was God's guy. This means that God governs the affairs of man with unencumbered ease, regardless of who sits in power. There is no power except from the Lord. From Saul to Solomon, from Caesar to Stalin, God reigns and has not ever relinquished one ounce of his power to anyone. He rules. We can't get tired of hearing that. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer, she reminded us, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. The Lord brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillar of the earth, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Remember in Proverbs chapter 2 or chapter 21 we're reminded that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. God is no more capable in a Republican Washington 
God is no more capable in a red Washington than he was during the red terror of the Bolsheviks. He is not applauding our brand new nationalism as if, it, as if he were some bystander. He is not just hopeful that we may finally be able to do something about abortion. Because even though this world is broken, this broken world is God's world. And he governs it as he pleases through the free actions of even wicked men. You remember Psalm chapter 1. Or Psalm chapter 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Church, on the day after the election, let us humbly anchor our hearts in the certainty that God rules the nations in the hearts of their kings. What a precious truth. A third thing for us to remember on the day after the election is that we are given a specific command not to hope in political solutions. The Bible gives us a specific command not to hope in political solutions. Let's think about this for just a moment before I read the text. It, we do not just live in a fractured world. This is, we know this is a fractured America. We know that, that we know that it's fractured across the world. It's not just a fractured world. It's a deeply broken world. Every American, every human, every immigrant, every Muslim wakes up today in a world which has long since been broken by sin and is now plagued with all sorts of injustice, persecution, tyranny, racism, and disease. It's a world that is teeming with people who, as the Bible says, are lovers of money, lovers of self, and haters of God. Some are rich and some are poor. Some have and others have not. Remember, church, that we live in a real world with real problems broken by real sin. And God has graciously graciously established human government as a blessing to mankind to limit to restrain the extent of evil romans tells us that governors are, are sent by god to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good and we should expect and when we can insist that they do so but the problem is that just like in israel Life in a broken world tempts us to look for salvation in the wrong places. Doesn't it? This is what we've been seeing Israel do all through the book of Samuel. They have a problem and they look for salvation, but in the wrong places. The Bible teaches that humans are sinfully prone to expect too much from their governments. You see, the Bible teaches that all humans, that we long for freedom and for peace and security and immortality. We long for these things because deep in the human psyche, we all sense that we were, in fact, made to be free. Truly, truly free. Free from tyranny, free from fear, free from poverty, free from death. Free from every encroachment that assaults the true longings of the human heart. And what happens, especially in our country, is that what fuels the, America, the American political engine 
is that our politicians, regardless of your party, our politicians make promises that resonate with the deepest longings of our hearts. Isn't that what they do? And then their campaign, in, their campaign engines use the most fantastic rhetoric to convince us that their candidate can deliver. Their goal, no matter what party, no matter what platform, no matter what policies, is always the same. To evoke hope. Hope that things will be different. But the Bible teaches us, resist the deceptive claims of princes. Psalm 46.3, which we just read tonight, 146.3, Do not put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. There is no salvation in a son of man except for the son of man. You see, just like Israel, we are prone to place our confidence in what we can see instead of God. In parties and in platforms and in policies, when we know that God alone can deliver on such lofty problems. Because the security and the freedom and the peace that you and I truly long for, it can't be secured by a temporal ruler. It can't be. Not by a prince, not by a president, not by red, not by blue, but only by a king. And this king must be infinitely powerful and marvelously good and exhaustively wise. And we can all agree that we have not elected that person ever. That man is the king of kings. He is the prince of peace. Only he can deliver. So whether our party wins or loses, we face the serious, all of us, in victory and defeat, we face the serious and idolatrous temptations to place our hope in something other than God. So church, let's not give Donald Trump or Mike Pence or a Republican Senate or a Republican House any of our hope, not even a little bit, because I promise They can't and won't deliver on these promises. They can't. Now, don't misunderstand me. We should, I believe we biblically are mandated to celebrate and to thank God for any government official who does good, who preserves justice and freedom, who defends the poor and the oppressed, who punishes evildoers and praises those who do good, who protects the sanctity of life and the, and the sanctity of marriage. Politicians like that are a gift from God, and we should thank God for them, even when they're not entirely there. But they're not God. They're not God. Remember Psalm 20? Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. Not us. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So on the day after the election, church, let me plead with you to ask yourself lots of questions and to beware of the deceptive temptation, especially in victory, to place your hope and the deepest longings of your heart in a party rather than a savior. He alone saves and he alone delivers. Psalm 118 reminds us it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Pray that God would help that sink into your heart, that it is better. How would you feel if it had turned out differently? It's better to trust and take refuge in the Lord. Finally, one more point on the day after the election is that we are given a specific command to pray for our leaders. We're all aware well of this, well aware of this, but I'm not sure how often we do this. You remember 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Now, we as a church, we should pray for our leaders because all of the previous points that I've mentioned are true. We pray because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We pray because we know that God directs the hearts of all kings and all nations. And we pray because our hope is ultimately in the Lord. I've been thinking about this a lot today. What does it mean to pray for our leaders? We are so eager to to vote. Can you imagine if you had the chance every day to uh, give Donald Trump your advice on his policy, right? You would probably spend some time doing that. But is it not more effective to pray, right? And we have the chance to do that every day. It, it seems, I was reflecting on this, and that in my experience, it can, it can be hard for me to pray for my leaders. It can be hard because if I don't like them, then it seems kind of futile, right? It, it seems kind of hopeless. But it, it can also be hard because if I do like them, I don't feel as much urgency, which is strange and, and wrong because I might trust their character or their policies more. But friends, regardless of which side of these extremes we may land in our struggle to pray, both of them represent a heart that trusts in man and not in the Lord. We pray to the degree that we trust the Lord. Always. So let's be a people who pray for Donald Trump, who pray for Mike Pence, who pray for the House and the Senate and our local leaders and all of those who are in high positions of authority. That God would give them humility, mercy, and wisdom to lead with justice and compassion. Both my wife and I were were thankful that we grew up in a home where we learned very early that voting is an essential, non-negotiable duty for being more or Davis. We you don't vote, you don't drive. Is how it works uh, for for us. Um, and it is it's important. It's a matter of Christian stewardship. But it struck me today that voting is not our primary civic duty. Praying is our primary civic duty. Just think about this for a moment. I was really interested. I read an article by a mathematician a few weeks back that calculated the statistical weight of one vote in the presidential election. Okay? Your vote, if you voted, was worth 0.0000000079%. Yeah. But what do you think what do you think the statistical weight of prayer is? I mean, just one. Th- just think about the difference, right? And we are so eager to vote, we put our stickers on and do we pray. So on the day after the election, let us vow to be a people 
who pray for our leaders. Because we are deeply convicted, not that the right person is in office, but that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man.